0: Welcome, everyone. This is the uh, third night <coughs> in which uh, we're going to address the second of the uh, basic illusions that most of us uh, run on. And uh, <coughs> each uh, each evening's talk is then uh, The alternate week is a discussion on that homework topic, which addresses tonight's issue. So for everyone to pick up one of the homework uh, and um, read it. And actually, the next time we meet won't be until January 8th, so you have a few weeks to mull over this particular homework Mm -hmm. session. (coughs) So uh, incidentally, um, I was listening to uh, NPR uh, this evening, and. they were uh, talking about the Buddhism becoming um, one of the, uh, moving into mainline American culture and they, um, they talked about it because uh, in fact Madonna is going to have a Buddhist ceremony for, for her wedding. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, wow, Buddhism really has made it in this country. <laughs> So, we, we're beginning to feel more and more like the end crowd, right? <laughs> so, this, this topic on the four basic illusions is a very significant topic. <clears throat> and I want to warn us as we approach these, uh, each of these illusions first of all, that they are holograms of each other. Uh, and it's, very, it's wonderful to see because. If there's only one truth, then perceptions of truth have to be like different vantage points of the same thing. And in many ways, after you hear um, a great deal of Dharma talks, you'll begin to hear the common perception uh, inherent in all Dharma. And these illusions very much uh, have that sense of, uh, reflection of of the other topics within them so it's a it's an interesting uh discussion to have because really we're only talking about one thing and uh just to back up for a moment and the buddha said that these illusions these ways that we hold life are deliberate it's not like we just don't know they're happening we don't know what the truth is. We know what the truth is. We, ju- we um, choose not to look. It's a deliberate not choosing. And so we're all guilty. We're all guilty of this. A not wanting to know, a deliberate denial. <clears throat> so last week we talked about the illusion of Thinking things uh, to be permanent, when really they are not. And today, we're going to talk about the illusion of the root of unhappiness. Taking what is inherently incapable of satisfying, as satisfying. You no, know, I, I think it takes a long time to even get a feeling for what this one means. And in fact, um, to give up the chase of, of this particular illusion is really synonymous with enlightenment. When we stop running after that which does not satisfy and cannot satisfy and will never satisfy, then there's a stopping and a resting and a letting go and a peace and a tranquility, which Christ talks about, the peace that path is ever understanding. But we are so used to trying to achieve happiness through this horizontal pursuit, through this pursuit of things. It's automatic. I remember uh, as a student, uh, it's often interesting to see where Dharma starts in one's life, you know. And if you go back, you keep seeing revelations that you had way back probably in early childhood. Well, this one, uh, I remember having a discussion with a very good friend of mine in college, <clears throat> at the peak of my um, youth, and uh, it was uh, during a particular um, jubilee weekend uh, at the N- University of North Carolina, which is kind of this the spring. Uh, gathering of different bands and things. And, and I turned to him and I remember it very clearly. It's one of those uh, memories that stay very clearly in one's mind as a revelation. And I said, what, what do you think it means to be happy? Because I don't feel like I have enough of whatever that means. <laughs> and he said, you know, I don't know either. And I've been thinking about the same thing. It was like we gave permission to the other person to, act, to actually own the fact that neither one of us knew instead of pretending that we did and I had, I realized in that moment that all of my uh, partying and my um, attempts at uh, alcoholic stupor <laughs> were really uh, graspings Pre- and the whole time I knew that this wasn't gonna do it but there was a grasping or a reaching and I wasn't willing to give it up, and I—it was kind of a pretension. I was pretending. I was pretending that I was having a good time. If I got to a certain degree of um, of drunkenness, then I could pretend I was having a good time because I never felt that in sobriety. It's very interesting, uh, and and how. And I remember then I just started asking, well, what what then does it mean to be happy? And that. Um, That started to move throughout my college years. Um, It's an interesting question, isn't it? Is happiness a mood? You know, I'm happy. Happen to be in the mood of happiness. Is it an attitude? How we look at life? I uh, I might have mentioned to some of you, I was at uh, um, Wild Waves this summer with my niece. And my niece, um, and I was grumpy because I had to stand in line to all these uh, just hours in line for these (laughs) rides that I didn't really care about going on anyway. But in any case, uh, so I was kind of grumpy and uh, my niece said, you know, you could be happy if you just change your attitude. (laughs) So, is happiness an attitude? Is it an attitude? Is it just a way of, you know, just letting grumpiness go? Does it mean the absence of tension or anxiety? Is that what happiness is? It's when I'm not tense. Is happiness when I have discovered or found a harmonious environment? one that's in nature or whatever our particular description of harmony is, is that, is that where it is? Is that where it's to be found? Or does it mean um, sort of dwelling in what is pleasant? And if we can just get the conditions right so that it's pleasant, then if all I have to do is replicate those conditions long enough and then I will have a state of happiness. Try that sometime in bed. You know, you've got the perfect position, right? You're on your back or on your side or something, you're warm. Just try staying like that, trying to maintain those conditions, and see if you can maintain that state of happiness. It's not easy to maintain, and in fact the same conditions don't replicate the same mood over time. So that's, that's important to understand. <clears throat> well, perhaps what we're looking for is contentment. Do what, what we mean by happiness is it perhaps that we want to be content. Content. Content has a sense of absence of movement, doesn't it? It means that this is enough. This is enough. But that contentment can't be based upon conditions, or when the conditions shift, then I'm no longer content. And I'm looking for something more pervasive, more long-lasting, more everlasting than that. Well, why, well what are we doing? The Buddha said, uh, peace was the highest, forms of, highest form of happiness. So what what does that mean, peace is the highest form of happiness? I think most of us have a certain strategy of life if we just find what is pleasant. And most of us, I think, pursue what is pleasant as our form of happiness. Is that fair enough? And let us say that this is not just the pursuit of those who are in the Buddhist tradition, but even the thief wants to be happy. We each have our own direction towards happiness and we may be (coughs) skewed in our methods, but ultimately I think all people, all beings, want some form of however they define that happiness. And so I think it's important to understand how we address and move towards happiness in order to understand whether that's the right methods was going to serve us in the long run. <clears throat> well, I think it from the from the mind's point of view, it makes sense that if I just found something that was pleasant and just sustained it like I if I just could eat chocolate cookies <laughs> instead of spinach. You know, if I could just find what I like and then You know, you eat chocolate cookies and something else occurs. It throws something else out of balance. Conditions, when you sustain conditions over time beyond their natural duration, beyond their natural life, it throws the whole thing out of balance. So I can't just expect to um, build my pursuit of happiness on an internal, an external set of conditions about what happiness is. I can't wait for a mood to arise and then say, oh, now I'm happy. And I can't set up the conditions for that mood to arise by just pursuing pleasant, pleasantness, because as I've been saying, if you stay within pleasant long, pleasantness long enough, it turns against you. The very pleasant sensation itself will turn against you. you can't, there's nothing that you can do perpetually and be satisfied. Nothing that you can eat, drink, no physical act, no mental act, everything. And now we begin to see how this whole question is intimately tied to the first discussion, the hologram that looked at the perception of truth and if? is taking what is permanent to be, they're taking what is impermanent to be permanent. And if we if we begin to merge these two questions, we begin to to look at the question of happiness as a question of impermanence, then we can see that no matter what I do, the conditions are going to change. No matter how I try to maintain a mood, no matter how I try to derive a mood, no matter how I try to prolong a mood, no matter what I do in terms of my physical location, no matter what attitudes I maintain, those conditions are going to change. That attitude, that mood, everything is going to, is going to um, alter, be altered. And this leaves me leaves most of us feeling very um, despondent and uh, really, um, in spiritual paths they talk about a dark night of the soul, a time when we have reached sort of the end of our usual and normal strategies for acquiring and maintaining and de- determining our happy conditions and yet not knowing or having the depth of understanding to uncover any other alternatives. And so we just come to it. Our, our feet are tired of running after, but we have no other direction to go. What do we do? What do we do in that? Um, I There was a, a nice... Um, metaphor of that state of mind in the monastery where i was practicing a uh, years before i had practiced there in watsun mok in thailand uh, there was another um, western monk who had been there and uh, lived for a great number of months actually in a cave and had died in that cave and when they came to take his body out of the cave they found uh, writings all over the walls of the cave, and one of the um, one of the uh, slogans that he had written on the cave wall was, uh, "Thank God, there is no um, way to acquire happiness." Happiness is not to be found in this world. It takes so long time to come to that understanding, doesn't it? It's not, that's not an, that's not just a given. And if we're honest, each of us in this room are only partially, have only partially understood that truth. If we're honest, if we're honest. And really, what we're doing in terms of our meditation practice is developing more and more clarity so that we can do two things. One is, admit the fact that this isn't working, and secondly, discover what does work. Because if this doesn't, it's either, well, nothing works. and I might as well kill myself which is kind of the logical next step, if life isn't working and never will, or pursuing something that may be more fundamentally true than this particular strategy. So we get into meditation. And we actually, we use our meditation within the same strategy of the pursuit of happiness. Is this contentment? (laughs) Is this peace? Have I found peace? Can I just keep this? You know, if I sit just like this, is this the real thing? Is this the firm ground under my feet? And to every answer, to every question, no. There's a resounding no. There's a resounding no to everything. And we just, the mind just through its own nature, moves towards grasping. And the, that grasping is an indication of the strength of that strategy. And you just find that moment when the breath is effortless, and the body's light, and the mind is tranquil. And there's a, is this it? Is this, is this it? Don't, don't we do that? Is this it? This is it. <laughs> you know, all my other meditations, nothing compares to this moment. This is it. Now, how did I do this? How did I, how did I build this thing? Well, I said 22, it's 22 minutes into this. On a Thursday at 7 p.m. At 7 p.m. next Thursday, we try it again, and <laughs> tired or sleepy or... Nothing can ever last. You know, in um, <clears throat> pursuit of uh, happiness, I was reading where they asked the Olympics, uh, the Olympi- Olympic athletes, prior to the Olympics, that if they could take a pill and the ingestion of that pill will ensure victory in their particular event, but that they would also die after that event. (laughs) Would they take that pill? Fifty percent said they would. Fifty percent. You know, it's just that... Is that good? That's going to do it for me. That... Now, this pursuit, or using mindfulness and using meditation in this way, in which we go inward instead of outward for our source of happiness and contentment, must be found in here. Buddha said, look inside. Must be in there. We wouldn't have sent me in. So the question is, are we going to save our soul, or lose it in this lifetime? Because it's a metaphor for what most of us have given up. We've given up our, our, our spiritual lives, our base of spirituality in the pursuit of finding that one thing that will do it. And the search needs to be relinquished. In order for our spiritual life to really grow, so the understanding of that first illusion, the inevitability of movement, we realize that the apple cart is precariously perched, that it's never steady, it's right on that hillside, and we have no control over it whatsoever that the whole thing from moment to moment is so uncertain and we try, with all the means available to us our influence, our prestige, our power, our affluence to try to build the circumstance and we're pretty good at it in this culture I mean, we're pretty good both at denial and we're pretty good because we consume such a large percentage of the world's resources in the attempt of doing just that that we try to build that sense of foundation of ease I was, uh, I don't know if uh, some of you uh, watched 60 Minutes last night but uh, Tom Hanks was on there and um, I I, uh, I like him as an actor and one of the things he said to He's talking about the money that he's had from all these movies as a genuine uh, movie star. And he says, the only thing I can say about money is that I don't worry as much with it as without it. I thought, that's about it, you know. uh, There'd be less worry. There'd be less worry. He didn't say he was happier. He just, you know, if something breaks, his car breaks down, he doesn't worry about it because he just buys a new car. So that's about it. (laughs) I thought, well, that's fair. You know, that's fair. I'll give money that. You know, part of our uh, need or uh, desire or strategy to build a life around us that has some sense of, um, of stability in it is our rejection or denial or turning away or aversion of loss because loss um, means what? the end of it all it reminds us of disappointment it reminds us of sadness it reminds us of the other side of the equation and certainly it reminds us of death and so the more stability we we can build for ourselves, the less we have to be reminded that things die, that there is loss inherent in life itself. And avoiding loss at all cost means that I don't have to ever find myself disappointed or betrayed or disadvantaged. and yet that's the human condition and there isn't any way to assure that those won't arise within our field of attention and Freud called this ordinary human unhappiness, he said the best I can do is exchange your neurotic misery for ordinary human unhappiness (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I'd sign that (laughs) I'm not sure i sign that contract <laughs> I'll give you thousands of dollars and you give me ordinary inhuman unhappiness <laughs> the Buddha took that as a starting point you see he took that as a starting point he said okay this is the condition he went outside the palace and he saw loss and he says whoa this is the this is the starting point. It's because of loss I leave home. I leave home because of loss. Because of ending, because of change, because of transitions. And his resolve was that he will find he will find something that is not based upon the conditions of happiness and he will rest there he will rest upon something that is not a fabrication of qualities or states or contrived environments he would find something that was more fundamental than the changing quality of life and then he would rest there Now, um, I'd like to talk about three characteristics of happiness, if I could. Uh, And those are on your homework sheets for you to, don't don't read them before I get to them. (laughs) (laughs) So the first quality or the first characteristic of happiness is that it could only be known in relationship to unhappiness. Now, that we have, to, we have to understand these things if we really want to make inroads into this second illusion. Because if we don't believe this, if we don't believe, or if we don't understand this, then we're going to continue the denial. And so, we have to understand... We have to investigate life to see that my pursuit of happiness inevitably brings the shadow of unhappiness into that very activity. That if I carve out a certain, whatever I pick, a certain state of mind that I call happiness, a mood, an attitude, a sense of peace or contentment, whatever I carve out, then and I put a lot of weight into that as to what I want and how I want it to be and that that is what I the charge of happiness a plus three on the Richter scale of happiness then the absence of that which is inevitable because things are a continuum not a stationary point because happiness is on a continuum of unhappiness and happiness is a straight-line continuum, so if in that center point I look for a plus 3, when that plus 3 is not achieved, it's going to be a minus 3. My pursuit of that particular point when it's not there is going to have the same weight negatively as my attraction and my pursuit of it, right? Does that make sense? To, it has to make sense at all along the way. It has to make sense in everything we do. It has to make sense when we're sitting, and we don't want the knee pain. It has to make sense on how we look at our internal experience, to see that anytime I move out, anytime I try to adjust the conditions and make the improve upon them. It means that the existing conditions weigh on the negative side of the scale t- exactly proportional to my pursuit and charge of the other side of the scale. If I don't want this knee pain at a minus three, then I will do everything I can to get to the other side of the scale of a plus three. And I just keep moving like that. The absence of one is the advantage of the other. Whichever direction we go, They are mutually defined. Unhappiness defines happiness when it's based on conditions. This is right view. This is actually quite a nice statement. Because if you think of the whole continuum, the whole continuum as being the whole, and if you think of truth as being the totality of things, then you understand that you can't have half the truth. You can't say, okay, I just want this, you know, cut it down the middle, just separate the Son of God, two halves of the hemisphere. Right? But the whole is the truth. The whole is the truth. The pain, the pleasure, the sadness, the happiness, all of that. And to be able to bring that continuum back together and not to move in relationship to any part of it affirms the whole. When I'm adjusting the scale, adjusting the meters, you know, fine-tuning it, getting my tinter rotor in the right direction, then I'm just trying to carve out the special conditions of that segment of the whole instead of the whole this is part of it this is it this is part of it too knee pain is part of it fear is part of it passion is part of it anger is part of it sadness loneliness happiness joy and when I don't move in relationship to it it means there is a completion in how I hold the whole and as soon as I move towards it, that means I'm trying to carve out. You see? Get a sense of that. And so what do we mean by moving towards? Moving towards is really moving away from the moment. Moving towards means that this, what is being presented isn't sufficient. The whole of the moment, the totality of the moment is not sufficient. <clears throat> what I'm actually doing is, Referencing the totality of this moment with another moment. And then moving towards the referenced imaginary moment and perspective of this one. But this is the only moment we got. In some ways, we're trapped in it. I mean, it's not as if you could think another thought but the one you're thinking. You don't have that no one does this is it moment after moment this is it and that and this is it is all that it will ever be we just keep referencing in our imagination something else and then moving towards that something else even though that something else is not a part of this moment and so we live with the imaginative reality of what we want to be, rather than what is. So that's the first characteristic of happiness. The second is that pleasure and pain on which happiness is based is hardwired into our system. think it's out there. We think that a chocolate cookie contains good feeling, good pleasure, good pleasurable feeling We think, I could, you're given enough wires and electricity and shocks, I could make you th- think just the opposite <laughs> <laughs> It's in here and the conditioned reference for each and everything that we see in life is, all, is hardwired into the system as being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, everything. We have that disposition, that orientation, that posture to either approach, avoid, or space out, depending upon what... The feeling tone inside of us is for those particular individual objects. So if if you're sitting and you have knee pain, most of us have a sense of unpleasantness associated with that. That unpleasantness is not inherent in the knee pain. It's inherent in us. We then take that sense of unpleasantness and build a whole strategy or a whole fear-based scenario that has nothing at all to do with the physical sensation of that pain. It has to do with us in the hardwired way that we are postured towards that unpleasant quality, towards that pain. So that's important to understand too. Because we think we're pursuing pleasure in the outside world, never realizing that it's in here. And it's interesting just to see that for a moment. I mean, you look around, or you you can just, objects are all neutral. They don't, I mean, the things themselves in the world have no inherent ability to attract uh, or, that ability, that propensity is in us. and we can't get beyond that we can't get beyond contact with something and then the feeling tone of it being pleasant or unpleasant or neutral we can't get beyond that don't look for a state of mind for a sense of freedom in which that is not a component part don't wait for your knee pain to become pleasant it never will and for most of us it will never even become neutral but does that mean that we have to be driven by that sense of aversion to it? because we're the one that's creating that not the pain <clears throat> so that's two of the three characteristics the third characteristic of the characteristic is that desire on which most of us is the mechanism through much which most of us pursue happiness is insatiable. <laughs> it ju- it's just, it's, um, it's like one of those paddle ball things. <laughs> just the harder you hit it, the quicker it comes back. It's all it's that-, on that string. <laughs> and it it does, it just. And really, if you look at some of the ways, the moments in which a desire is momentarily satiated, you know, you have a tremendous desire for chocolate, or you have a tremendous desire to hear the bell 42 minutes into the sitting, with one eye cocked open, you know, watching, hoping to hear the words may all be <laughs> And when you hear those, you go, ah, oh, the desire has gone. Your desire has is gone, isn't it? And you say, oh, I could sit here forever. <laughs> you could sit here forever because the desire is gone, not because anything has changed when you're sitting. The desire has been the aggravating component. It's the desire that's been driving. It's the desire. It's the it's the burning quality of the mind, and that's insatiable. It can't be. You know, my grandmother told me that if I ate enough chocolate, I could break the habit. (laughs) (laughs) I proved her wrong. It's insatiable. So that means conflict is inevitable. When something's insatiable, when it won't stop, just because we've momentarily satisfied, it can't be reasoned with. It's not as if we can talk to it. So now, what is? No. Now, so here's the problem. Now, what are we going to do? Here it is. We can't chase after pleasure, for we then create the shadow of our own unhappiness. That's the first characteristic. We cannot eliminate pain because it's part of the very experience of... The unpleasantness is part of the very experience itself. Part of our very mind itself. And we are stuck with an unrelenting desiring mind. There it is. Uh, uh, We call this life. So at some point we bottom out. I don't know how that happens exactly, except our eyes begin to open. And we've, I guess it's just because we've run up against the wall and hit our head so many times that we're just tired of the bumps and the bruises. And if we just look at it a different way, I just—I if it doesn't work this way, then it's got to work that way. We go 180 degrees and we say, okay, let me learn how to hold my internal world. Let me see what happiness is built upon. Let me see where contentment really lies. Does it lie in anything that the mind produces? Does it lie in anything that the world produces? And when we really see that it doesn't, we just—it just it just doesn't move that direction anymore. It comes to a rest. And it only comes to a rest because it knows the pursuit has no fulfillment. It does not come to a rest in cleverly dis- dis- deciding, philosophically or intellectually, that I'm going to try this for a while. I'm not really finished with my pursuit of happiness, but let me see about this thing. We've got to be finished with these methods, with these strategies, in order to come to a rest. We can't talk ourselves into it. And that's where most of us are in this room.